Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. This is AC Barton with the CSD, IAI, and the Verdugo Regional Crime Laboratory Forensic Services section. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. Well, Glenn, it's been a little while since we've uh, had a chance to record, and, and uh, that's well, it's mainly because a few things have happened here in the past couple months. Uh, but first of all, how are you doing? I, I am good. It's been a turbulent few weeks or so, more so for you than me, but let's. We, you've got some news to share with our listeners. I do. Um, I'm, I tweeted out a little, uh, little hint uh, or a little mystery a couple days ago. I uh, have been, as most listeners know, I've been working for Ideal Innovations Incorporated for the past about nine months or so, and um, but got an offer that uh, I, I couldn't turn down. Um, so I, I've made the move from flying out to West Virginia to do comparisons for uh, for uh, I3 to uh, working for Idemia. I started there about a week ago, and um, uh, that's they're based in Anaheim, California. Uh, so uh, after uh, finishing up my last few shifts out there in West Virginia, my wife flew out and we visited my sister and drove my West Virginia car all the way out here to Anaheim, stopped by uh, Disneyland and, uh, and now been, been, uh, starting the next adventure of my life working for Idemia. So very excited about that. I'm, well, I'm glad you said the company name correctly the second time <laughs> no. to learn the company name. <laughs> uh, this is a, I was going to even fix call- that. <laughs> it, it's a callback for listeners <laughs> where we weren't quite sure how to pronounce Idemia or Idemia, but Teresa Wu on a previous episode corrected us. So, Yes, good thing you've got our the the company name correct. Congratulations, Eric. I'm very happy for you. Well, thank you very much. I'm really excited to be a part of of their team. Like you said, Teresa Wu, you helped recruit me out there, and you just have another uh, expert examiner uh, on their team, but also to to work with uh, their software, getting it developed with more efficiency, more features, just uh, you know, more tools for the latent print examiner, and uh, uh, with all the tech they already have built into it i can't wait to to do my part to make it even better yeah it's like having a guy on the inside so that you can direct them and give real-time feedback to how a latent print examiner would react or use or think about the particular tool it's 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 good i I like that i like that a they care and b they've done something about it by hiring someone with that kind of knowledge to obviously improve their product on that side of the house yeah and and cool. uh i i'm so excited to 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 finally be able to you know work with the actual programmers on on, on little things and big things that uh that I, I've, I've looked at for years as ways to improve and and uh and now it's you know it's this opportunity to actually do something about it and and uh but like you, you also said you know have a, an ear out to the users and and customers and potential customers out there uh listening to uh to get their feedback as well and everyone has has their own little uh you know pet peeve about how uh whatever system you use works you know i i i've had my own and and now i'm going to be able to to get in there and make a little tweaks i'm so i'm just really excited about it yeah that, that's fantastic Fantastic. I'm very happy for you. So welcome to the private sector and working for a vendor. <laughs> no, good job. It's, it's so strange. It, it feels, um, you know, going into this, this private sector office, it, it, 
it kind of feels like being a grown up finally. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like I mentioned though, I stopped by, uh, Disneyland. Um, my wife's a, a big fan of Disneyland. So that was part of the, the deal of working in Anaheim now is, is, uh, more access to, uh, the parks there and, uh, got to see the new Star Wars, um, Galaxy's uh-huh. Edge. Yeah. And. So I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it out here, uh, once this episode goes up, but, um, just happened to see a guy named uh, Chewbacca walking by and, uh, convinced him to, uh, still measure up, stand back to back. Uh, he still had me about an inch or so, but, uh, that was. Oh, uh, good. Okay. <laughs> that was really Almost to scale me. then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. In, in Peter Mayhew is probably another foot taller than I am, but the Chewbacca in yeah. the park was about an inch taller. <laughs> Right. Eric, not quite Wookiee size Ray. I believe that was your high school nickname. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rolls off the tongue. Indeed. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Glenn, what about you? you you've been uh, traveling a little bit here. Yes. And I, this will actually be a nice segue into our uh, our guest today. I just got back from Detroit. Detroit, the Motor City, Michigan. And this was Every every year I go back to Detroit, sometimes twice a year, but I, I don't usually stay in Detroit. I go in, I meet my friends, and then we go out somewhere and we often like rent a house and do nerd stuff for a couple of days. But I actually met Cedric Newman in downtown Detroit, and the last time I was th- there with Cedric was about 10 years ago. And th- this will be a little Michigan heavy for those people who are from Michigan or near Michigan listening to this episode. But I mean Detroit Detroit has a reputation for being the worst city and they've earned it very well and it's a terrible <laughs> terrible terrible place. Uh, one of the highest murder rates in the 80s. It just burned down houses. Every block is basically a car wash, a liquor store. Uh, but in Michigan, they don't call them liquor stores, they call them party stores. Little known fact, they're called a party store. Okay. There's no such thing as a liquor store. It's called a party store. And Detroit, again, another true fact, there are no grocery chains in Detroit. Like all the grocers have moved out. So if you live in the city limits of Detroit, you actually have to go to basically a gas station to buy your groceries because no grocer will stay in that city because they're sick of being robbed and shot at and have their places burned down. It, it was a terrible place. And so when Cedric went there 10 years ago with me, we stayed over on 8 Mile. This was a fantasy of his that I helped fulfill. <laughs> quite quite, okay. quite true. That's what every, um, what every young Swiss boy dreams of. Yep, and there were these definite moments where we got into a little bit of trouble where I thought, well, he might die if if we continue down this path, but all all was well. And so 10 years later, we were in Detroit again having a little reunion, and it's a completely different vibe. Everyone told me there has been this renaissance downtown and this complete uh, gentrification and that the entire downtown – and that this entire time I've been going, well, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Let, yeah. Right. right. I couldn't believe it. I, I I had no idea what city I was in. I I had no idea wow. why people were being nice to me and not shooting at me and like saying, hello, sir. Can I help you, sir? There was a whole lot of sir and yes and please and thank you and kindness. People were actually kind as opposed to what you what you want. 
which is usually how you, customer service is there, what you want. And it wasn't any of that. It was really cool. I was amazed at um, the transformation. I, I went in the biggest skeptic, and now I have to shut my mouth and do a 180 because it was – it was a completely different vibe. I walked around downtown Detroit at 3 a.m. by myself, and I did not get shot. And that <laughs> would never have happened 20, 30 years ago. No mugging, no shooting. I, I felt actually safe walking around Detroit. So it was, a good, it was a good experience, and Cedric really enjoyed it. Plus, we went to a goth club, which was kind of fun. <laughs> an, an old goth club that was there for years was still there, and we uh, enjoyed it. For my for my Michigan folks, Leland City Club is still alive and kicking. All right, all right. Well, you know, so, some things never do change. Apparently not. Apparently, the goth scene will always <laughs> be underground in Detroit. Well, that's 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 really amazing. I. My now, you know, my my images of uh, of uh, you know RoboCop Detroit have been uh, have been shattered. It's not the it's not the same. It's totally not the same. Well, that's that's good to hear. It's good. Well, and and you know, you growing up there, I'm 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 sure you're you feel you know very happy for your you know uh, your hometown that it's uh, I am that it's I'm, headed I'm, in the right direction. I'm kind of proud of them. Yes, I'm proud that they've turned it around and things are changing, which is why I'm so excited to talk to our guest today and hear his experiences because as we're going to get to in a minute, uh, he and I have very similar upbringing, so it'll be great to unpack that a little bit. All right. Well, speaking of which, uh, we have our guest who's been uh, patiently waiting through a couple stories here, um, uh, AC Brogdon. Uh, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, great, great to have you on here. So, um, uh, AC, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to to our listeners? Uh, tell them tell them a little about yourself, uh, you know, where you work, and uh, we'll go from there. Yes, uh, my name is AC Broaden. Um, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan, as <laughs> he alluded to earlier. Uh, I am currently the California State Division International Association for Identification President. And as president, uh, I oversee the California State Division through the Parent Body International Association for Identification. In addition, I am a forensic supervisor of the Verdugo Regional Crime Laboratory, um, an accredited laboratory in the L.A. County area. And I am honored to be on the podcast today. We're honored to have you, man. Good to hear you, AC. Good to see you. Good to hear from you as well. So, um, first first, real quick, you, you said the, the Verdugo Regional Crime Lab. Now, is that... I, I have such problems figuring out how the different jurisdictions out here in California work. Is that a city lab or is that part of the state system? Like what? What part of the? It's the part of a city lab with the city of Glendale. Okay. Um, Redugo Regional Crime Laboratory uh, is located in the city of Glendale, in which we pro- provide external sources and external resources to laboratories in the LA County area. Okay, so it's it's it's. You're working for the city of Glendale, um, but provide resources for for some surrounding areas as well. Yes, got it. Okay. Well, uh, AC, to to start off, you know, we we if you're if you listened at all to uh, to past interviews of the show, you know, we we next go into that the age old question: How'd you end up doing this whole forensic thing? And and uh, and I will ask: How did you survive Detroit, my friend? <laughs> uh, yeah, originally. Uh... At heart, a Navy brat. Um, oh, okay. So I lived in lived in Korea for a couple of years and Oxnard. So I was exposed to 
California when I was six years old and my parents and my dad was in the Navy. So I lived in Oxnard for a couple of years. So I get a, got a little taste of the beach at an early age. And then we moved to Korea, uh, South Korea, Chennai, in which I lived there for a couple of years as well. And uh, eventually my dad got out of the Navy and uh, we moved back home to Detroit and where he worked for Ford Motor Company as well. Mm. So uh, surviving Detroit, um, <laughs> it is different. I went home a couple months ago. Um, <laughs> Did you experience what I was talking about? Yeah, I experienced it's a lot different. People are actually running their dogs downtown. And, uh, it's crazy, right? In beer, it's totally different from where it was uh, when I left. Um, when I was 18, so about 20 years ago. Yeah. But I just that being said, it uh, the people of Detroit are, are great people. They're um, hard workers. Um, a lot of people are tied to the big three motor companies, right. which um, they work days in and day out to make better lives for the, this country that helps the world move along. So there's a grittiness there that... Um, right. You can't teach, and I, I was able to take that grittiness. Um, I went to Detroit, Martin Luther King High School in urban Detroit. And oh my God! I just went past it the other day. It is still, it is still there, my friend. Yes, it is, it is. and it's um, that, that was my foundation in which I was in a um, a math and science program there. Um, and at that program there, it was it created the foundation. That's where my love for science started, hmm. and and um, went to Western Michigan University. And oh, I didn't know that. You you were uh, what? They're the Mavericks, right? Or Broncos? Broncos. Broncos. Broncos and Kalamazoo. So Kazoo. I, I went <laughs> Kazoo, exactly. So I went there and got a, a a degree similar to what you would see on um, the television show Bones. It was in anthropology. Oh, okay. How I got into forensics was I was pre med at the time, and then I was working at the hospital there, just volunteering. And the thing about working in the hospitals, the patients come in, they tell you their problems. There's really not any questioning. There's no ambiguity. They tell you what's wrong with them. I had a human osteology uh, professor throw a bag of bones on the table and said, put the skeleton back together and tell me what you, what do you know about this? So that question mark was intriguing for me. Mm. Um, I remember once you put it on the table, there was a stab wound to the rib and that letter was the cause of death. So. Intriguing, and from then on, the puzzle took off me, and I was able to come out to San Diego out here and got a master's degree. And from then, the rest is history. And I became president uh, earlier this year of a forensic organization, uh, CSDII, and then the rest is history. So, um, specifically, what when uh, in your position there at uh, the Verduga Regional Crime Lab, uh, what are your daily duties there? Uh, yes. So as a forensic supervisor of that um, section, I oversee the NIBIN, which is the National Integrated Ballistics Information Network. Um, that's one of our scopes. We have a crime scene section. We have a latent print comparison section and a latent print processing section. So I am uh, responsible for our teammates and uh, listening to the supervisor role from the day-to-day operations there. And what did you come up doing of, of those roles? Uh <laughs> Originally, I was an intern for two years at Chula Vista Police Department while I was getting my master's degree uh, in the San Diego area. So I shadowed the crime scene section, and eventually I knew I was going to be doing crime scenes and um, comparisons as well. So I'm certified in crime scene as a crime scene analyst with II, 
I do the day-to-day compare clinics as well and um, NIBIN and processing as well. So if you're under our accreditation window, you have to be trained in every year in those disciplines. So I am a working supervisor, so <laughs> I just can't uh, not not participate. So I do participate in those capacities. Do you ever find that any of your, we'll call it street smarts, has factored into some of your crime scene investigations where you, you look at something and go, uh, I know what this is. <laughs> I know where to look for this evidence. Yeah, there's um, with my exposure to Detroit and the urban population. I just think the word, the one thing that I take the most out of it is that we're all people. Um, it's just interacting with people with, with respect. You come in with a respectful attitude with people, they're willing to talk to you. But if you automatically have your guard up when you're interacting with someone, um, that's how I can see how it can go left and not go in the direction of what you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. So an investigator, my, my first standpoint is I come from where you come from. I'm just here to assist and um, help this situation. Um, and a lot of times the situations that people are placed in, urban or non-urban situations, is decision-making. Um, some people feel like they don't have an option, so they commit crime. And it's just yeah. unfortunate. And um, that I come with that sincerity when I process people in scenes as well. Yeah. Cool. So one of the, the, the big things we wanted to focus on to, in today's discussion um, is how crime affected you in your life earlier on. And uh, and how that plays forward to you, know, kind of how you see your role now, and, and advice you know that uh, you know that you could give to you know other people working in law enforcement and specifically crime scene, crime lab kind of environment. So, uh, can you, why don't you tell us uh, tell us the story that uh, um, that we were talking about earlier? Yes, for sure. Um, I think a lot of times with people in their careers, they they work day to day, 40 hour weeks, and they don't have an understanding of why are they doing this job. And it wasn't until earlier this year that I was sworn in as president that I understood why I was called to do this job. Uh, when I was 11 years old in 1994, on 4th of July, my uncle was, was murdered. Um, he was coming home from a car plant and he called his wife, believe it or not, this is 1994, so there was no cell phones. So he pulled over to the side of the road. It was like 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning. And he called my aunt. And while I was speaking on the phone with my aunt, um, some gentlemen came up to him. A couple of gentlemen come up, came up to him. And he said, what are you doing with my car? And they proceeded to kill him um, over his vehicle. And for that long story being short, that day changed the life of our family. He had two kids at the time. Uh, he had a wife, like I said. And that changed the perspective. So to speed up things now, when I got sworn in this year in May, I spoke about this when I was um, sworn in to pres- as president. And as president, I challenged all the members of the audience and people that are listening to your podcast. If you are a forensic pr- practitioner, um, what we do is extremely important. The reason why it is important is because uh, the people that we are processing on the inside of the tape are affecting people on the outside of the tape as well. I remember being an 11-year-old boy, and, you know, we go to day-to-day operations. It's easy to become apathetic about what we do. Oh, I got to go to another murder, or I got to go to another shooting, or I have to go process this evidence, item of evidence. But there is a human element, and the 11-year-old boy was affected by it. I lost my uncle that day. 
Um, media was there. I was on every channel, two, four, seven in the Detroit area. My cousins lost their, their dad as well. The reason why I share that story is because I want us to remember that 11-year-old boy um, and to not become apathetic. Someone that you're processing that scene for is loved by somebody. So make sure to give your best efforts uh, when you're processing scenes or processing evidence or doing a comparison because you never know who you're affecting or you're dealing with. Yeah, I'd say that's uh, sage wisdom, and obviously, you know, you lived through it. I, I'm going to assume this because this is, again, just a Detroit statistics. I'm playing the odds here. Unsolved, they never caught the guys, right? They actually did. They actually they did? did? Um, yeah, they did. Uh, it was, it was, all right, hold on. Wait, I, I fell out of my seat. I'm picking myself up. Yeah, they actually did. It was 15 years later, I believe. So, um, so it's 16 I don't know years term. later? Yeah, it was a long time later. In which the I think a confession occurred um, in in the jail system or the prison system, but that being said, it's um it's not from a lack of effort. I don't blame any of the forensic people there or anything like that. It's just it's it's a, it's a it was a crime ridden area um, yeah. in which a lot of crime was occurring. I'm pleased to see when I go back, like you were, Glenn, that it is a lot different from where it was. I remember I was down there. I was down there three months ago, a couple months ago, in which there was a Shinola Park there. And yeah, that's where I was. Actually, and, that's right where I was, right at Cass and Shinola yeah, and Lafayette. That's yeah, right where I was, man. <laughs> down by Cass. Uh, uh, Cass was our arrival in high school. And it's just, yes, it's Cass Tech. Because those areas were ridden with poverty and uh, drug yeah. sales and uh, gang violence. So, or violence in general. So to see where it is now, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. I I lost my scarf. I had this really nice wool scarf. I lost it right at Shinola Hotel. There, there's a there's a bar right next to it called the Breakman. I don't. It's really right next to the Shinola Hotel. Yeah. And I and I lost I lost my scarf there. And I came back the next day thinking, all right, no way. I walked in. The manager actually not only re- recognized what I was talking about, she described it to me, and she had put it in a safe place and like came in on her day off to give it to me. And I went, oh, this ain't Detroit than i know <laughs> <laughs> yep it's a different a, a different place right now for sure yeah yeah it, it, you're absolutely right it's it's nice seeing that um things can turn around that way and you know this this terrible story of you know about your uncle i mean yeah. it, obviously it's influenced you to do your best when you go to a crime scene you you'll never forget this it lives with you and has made it as much as possible a positive impact on your life yeah, as best as possible. Um, I, I'm not one for, if you know my, my mother and my dad, uh, Rosita and Alan Brogdon, they instilled on me that no matter the situation, you have to make a positive out of it. And, yeah. and this is one of the ultimate things. It's life-changing on at so many levels. But uh, what we did, we, we took that negative, and we're going to grow from it, and hopefully it can uh, instill it into the forensic community as best as possible. Sure. Uh, any specific examples from your, some of your, your presentations that people need to focus on? What what should they not be forgetting when they're working a case or doing a crime scene? Not just the victim or the impact, but specific things. Uh, specifically that even though we, we see we're exposed to a lot of different things as crime scene investigators and comparisons and we hear these stories, what we see on a regular day basis, we can forget that it is not normal to see a dead yeah. body at your feet and to uh, see somebody 
with their head blown off. It's not a normal thing. So I always, with our team and within the Frisbee community, I try to preach as best as possible that there is assistance programs out there like the EAP, um, Employment Assistance Program, in which you can seek help, um, in which you can speak to other people about what you have been exposed to. But to share a little story about myself, I was a, one of my worst cases ever was a two-year-old that was murdered. Um, it's always the kids. Yeah, it's always the kids, yeah. for sure. And the worst thing about it was uh, the young lady, was the two-year-old was killed because the dad didn't feel like he could uh, be a good parent. And the worst thing for me that night, I remember, um, mm. was that her picture's on the wall. So that being said, um, it, it, it affected me. And it's one of those things that I which I seeked out help. Um, in which uh, I was able to speak with someone about it and um, and get coping through that through that medium. So I recommend that everybody not to be ashamed of it. It's okay if you need to talk to someone, and hopefully you can get the best guidance to make you a better person. So along those lines, just to, uh, on the you know the topic, it reminded me of an article I saw a few years ago called uh, "Occupational Stress and the Crime Scene Investigator." Uh, by Matthew Leone and Renee Keel. Uh, this is out of the Journal of Law and Criminal Justice. And, uh, you know, they go into some, some points. They talk about just, you know, occupational stress in general and some of the specifics that can come up here and, and really point out that while there's been a whole lot of push to get those kind of assistance programs out there to, uh, sworn officers, it, it's trailed behind a bit for, uh, crime scene officers or, you know, civilians that are still there doing this kind of work. And, uh, one of the great points they make is that the, uh, the crime scene investigator, they're the one there the longest, right? They're, they're the one that's closest to, uh, this, this traumatic experience day in and day out. You know, the, the initial officer may get there, secure the scene, um, detective kind of come in, you know, look over and then it's the, crime scene investigator that goes in and collects all the evidence and is right there, you know, very close to, to everything that's going on. And, uh, in this one, this couple of years old study, the, the, uh, kind of peer support program or employee assistance program you're mentioning was only available to 60% of the respondents of the survey. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, definitely if that is available at your agency and uh, that's, you know, that's definitely something to, to reach out and, and seek that kind of support. Uh, and if not, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's an opportunity to, to get that in there for you and your coworkers. Um, because it, it may already be there in existence for, um, the sworn officers, but there just needs to be this little kind of push to get it for the civilian people that are still being affected in very similar ways. My knowledge is that a lot of, if nothing else, state agencies and you know general government agencies will have something for their employees. I think with those that are law enforcement, they'll be more specific for for crime scene. I am thinking of a, a good friend of mine who was a crime scene investigator, and again, no exaggeration, he worked as a crime scene investigator from Minnesota, and he worked a wood chipper case, oh. much like 
the Fargo. movie Fargo was kind of based on, but not quite. But one of the cases it was based on was a, a wife that was put through a wood chipper. And his job as the crime scene investigator, which is not in the movie Fargo, was to pick up all those little pieces of flesh and bone. And he, for two days in the field, all they did was pick up little pieces of, of her. And he would talk about for years after that, he would wake up in the middle of the night in sweats like thinking he missed a piece of her or there's still more pieces to pick up. Like that was his reoccurring nightmare was having to just keep continually find pieces of her. It, I, I was so impressed with his thoroughness at the scene, but how traumatizing must that be that your job is to pick up, pick up, you know, pieces of another person for two days. Yes. That must be very traumatic for sure. And like um, Eric said earlier, if there isn't a resource through your your government agency, that may be the time to initiate one. Um, right. If you're a supervisor in any capacity. Speaking to your partner, I understand if people work with partners um, in a in comparison lab or in crime scene investigation. Uh, I'm, we vent, and our way of venting is to be therapeutic, but you may need some type of professional help in which somebody can actually provide you some type of guidance. So I yeah. always see people doing that for sure. And, and I, you know, I don't also don't want anyone out there that may be working their 40 hours in the lab to, to feel that, that this doesn't also apply to you, you know, just because you glue plastic bags uh, all day and enter prints into APHIS and you don't go out and pick up uh, body parts or, or, you know, see you know, murdered children, you know, these cases still have an effect. And, you know, back when I was working at the lab, you could see the people that, that it started to affect. You, you could see the, the pessimism start to work in the jadedness, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it may be just, just, uh, just, you know, localized in my lab, but a lot of the people in the DNA unit had this kind of jaded nature. Um, yeah. And, I don't know if it was a coping mechanism or what, but especially working uh, just uh, they also were split up. So you just worked with a sim- single kind of case. So there are people that just all day long, all week long, just processed uh, evidence from sexual assault cases. And they became very jaded in, in some, some of them did in some of their comments about, about that, those situations. And, you know, I can kind of seep into the work. And I think that's what you're saying, AC, is is to kind of yeah. remember that this, the, you know, how important this work really is. Yeah, totally. Uh, that's a, seems a mundane. It may be just a typical Monday, maybe a typical Tuesday. You're just like, oh, I have another case to take on. It's another print case. It's on the sexual assault case. There is a victim on the other end of that case. Um, and we have to make sure that this isn't just a regular Monday or Tuesday. Nothing against um, a bag or a bagger at a grocery store, or a Walmart greeter or whatever it may be, our job is a little bit more important than the average job um, because it's affecting people's lives. Um, so not only to put people away, but to exonerate as well. So have to make sure that mentally we're in the best um, place when we're processing or working in a laboratory setting or in the field setting before we can produce the best product for our, our customers. Yeah. And, you know, this is a personal, uh, I guess, harp of mine. But when you talk about the, the best product, I think about the importance of documentation and, of course, following through and doing your job. Yep. I, you know, I work with a lot of defense attorneys these days, and 
all the defense attorneys I know, I even if I know I know it's easy to set it up and kind of make fun of them or another or think of them as the enemy or think of them as, oh yeah, here they go, another here's another defense attorney trying to get this, you know, this rapist, this killer, whatever, whatever off. But the ones that I all work with what I like about them is that they respect every person's individual rights to freedom, of course, and they do truly see people who either have made bad decisions in their life or were forced into bad decisions or uh, in some cases didn't have the resources you know, to, to make good decisions in their life. Putting all, all that aside, the, the thing that I always like about a good defense attorney is they say if you do your job, if you have done what you're supposed to do, you have followed through your job, you have documented it appropriately, then – I, and this is – I'm thinking of one particular defense attorney. What she said was then I can sleep at night because I can sleep knowing that I did my constitutional duty to defend this person and the right person got convicted. What I don't want is for you to do a sloppy job or a bad job or not do your job thoroughly and this scumbag who I know personally or feel personally is probably guilty of this heinous crime. He's going to get off because you didn't do your job. And I always think of it from that perspective of, oh, it's a very different view on the responsibility of me to document and do my job so that the right person, not the wrong person, and the right person does go to jail and justice is served. Yeah, here, here. I, yeah. I think we often feel like we're on the prosecutor's side just because of – of just Or attacked by defense. Or attacked by defense. But that's that's not the actual case. It's just the way the system ends up working. If we have evidence that somebody else did the crime, odds are pretty good that that the prosecutor's not going to prosecute, you know, person A when the when we have evidence that shows person B did it. Um, yeah. So we're we're just not minor exceptions be, aside. Exactly, we're just not going to be yeah. set up to be on on that side for the most part, uh, with uh, with yeah. obvious exceptions. Um, so, in identification very much feels like evidence for the prosecution but that's not the case it's it's evidence and it could support either side uh, depending on the circumstances of the case yeah yeah so i, I kind of like speak with our team and people in the friends community recently i went to cal state la and then grossman college in san diego and i spoke to students down there and we talked about testimony and, and um, the area in which i tried to encourage them is just even me, I've been doing this for over a decade. You get nervous when you go into court. Um, but the, the opportunity for that to me is to educate. I'm not there yeah. for the prosecution. I'm not there for the defense. I'm there to just educate the jury on what did I and my team do when we process that crime scene or did that comparison or did that ballistics entry. Um, so I just use it as an opportunity to educate and then um, the chips will fall where they need to be or how the education of the evidence uh, came out. So um, I just look at for opportunity to educate for sure. Yeah. Hey. So AC. So I, yeah. I don't know if this applies to you, but for me, I always found crime scene one of the more dis- difficult areas to testify in I, compared to latents or you know any any other discipline because it always seemed like the questions were much more wide ranging, and there were sometimes out of left field like when you got to the crime scene, what channel was the TV on? Or did you notice the thermostat, what setting it was at? Or did you notice if, you know, the window uh, window was uh, halfway open or 
three-eighths open? Those kinds of questions would often throw me because in fingerprints, I know what I'm going to get asked about, the history of fingerprints, the uniqueness. and you know, I, know where, I know what's coming in fingerprints. With crime scene, it seems so much wide open. Do you ever have any, any more issues with crime scene investigation? How do you, how do you respond to, to those kinds of questions? Yeah, crime scene is a, a couple things there. There's it is different from comparison uh, testimony because it's not there's a lot more variables when it comes to crime scene investigations. Um, but I, I there's two things that I tell our team and I, I spoke to the students as well recently. Um, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Uh, that's uh-huh. what I stay by, and with yeah. you. Try to do, like you said earlier, documentation is important. So you need to write down that thermostat. You need to write down the lights were on. You need to write down the temperature uh, when you're right at the crime scene, the, the lighting conditions. Uh, try to do as best as possible. Uh, take as many photographs as possible. Um, but one thing that I do do when I testify is I cannot testify to something that I did not do. Mm-hmm. So if you stay in that window and don't try to stay outside of it, if you didn't write down the temperature, you can't make it up. So you right. like, actually, I did not capture that information. And then that you're just being honest and that's you're human. There's a lot of things going on in the crime scene, but you're trying to capture. Uh, the best thing you do is stick to your, your um, SOPs or your standard operating procedures, uh, your manuals, and uh, try to process it as best as your ability. And anything at a crime scene, if you can talk about it, you know, perhaps an adjudicated case, anything at a crime scene that you didn't do or didn't collect that later became significant, you went, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Not significant. Um, there is always there's an opportunity for mistake. Uh, being a veteran, and I'm sure if you guys process crime scenes that are listening, you always, the, the night afterwards, you're not sleeping the best. Because you're like, ah, I could have did that, or I could have yeah. did this. So each, I would, I don't have any specifics, but I do have. I know there's been multiple fillings which I said, "Dang it, did I get this, or did I not do that?" Um, but I could be paranoia. It hmm. may not be anything major with the crime scene. You ever have to turn around and go back to a scene? I, I know I have. I have. Yeah. I have. Okay. Yes, I have. All I right. have went back for scenes to get like measurement. Um, yeah, something you forgot to do yeah, that you made a mental to note. I got to get this before I leave, and then you don't. Yeah, and you totally have to go back and you just <laughs> write another report in which, if you're asked about it in court, you just explain. I, exactly. This is the area in which I did not capture the first time I went back. Um, I don't believe anything changed. And just be honest and truthful. If you stay in that box of being honest and truthful, yeah. um, I think you as an analyst will be fine. Yeah. Okay. I think that's that's a that's a, a great you know yardstick to measure yourself by. Do you find yourself doing that, thinking, "Oh wait, did I miss something? Did I forget something?" <laughs> yeah, you know, and going yes. back, right? Uh, taking more pictures, taking more than you need pictures, uh, even if you're in the lab. You know, I very much subscribe to the "if you can see it, you can photograph it" theory, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. <laughs> if. Um, are you, yeah. Are you the kind of person that's going to be like, I, I can see it. I'm just going to keep trying out different lights until I can get a good picture of it. Or, <laughs> you know, are you, or have you gotten to the point where you're like, eh, I'll, I'll just try to get it with the next processing technique or, or, uh, eh, that eh, I got most of the, in the picture. I've, I've had those moments where I felt like this is good enough. And then I would feel guilty if I didn't, like you said, didn't keep going forward. Yeah. 
yeah, I think members of my team would tell it's it's one thing I do enjoy is photography. And then that wasn't the case at first. And then I had a, a mentor, David Carter, down in San Diego. He uh, took me under his wing and told me about bracketing. He told me about F stops and Ansel Adams and <laughs> one of the Ansel guys. Adams. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> anything that had to do with uh, photography, he wanted me to be abreast. So. Yeah. That being said, he created that foundation in which uh, I am. It's a, it's a pit bull mentality. I tried to push that with our team and the, and the Prince community in general. That uh, if you can't see it, let's try to get it. I don't know what we got to do to get it, but let's try to get it until we, we're exhausted. Because the only thing, that one picture that you're doubting, you're going to need it. So let's try to get it. So I want to um, head back real quick to this this article for for kind of one last thing uh, that mm-hmm. I just as it's sitting here open I, I just happened to notice and um, it, it talks it kind of talks about stress from a couple different factors and one is is these kind of things we've been talking about and and it it uh, it kind of ranks them as and some of the ones near the top or that you would cause the most stress out there in the field or. If you have an, if there's an officer that dies in the field, or there are mass fatalities, uh, an infant or child death, um, high profile cases, potential exposure to infectious disease, you know, all these things that you would be exposed to out in the field. But, you know, for everyone uh, in the, you know, this, this environment, uh, even if you're actually in the lab, you know, eight hours a day, there, there's other things that take toll on people and you know, that can be, you know, budget cuts, um, a low salary or benefits, um, inadequate staffing, getting called out in the middle of the night, not getting enough sleep, uh, seeing your coworkers getting complacent, not having support in the organization. And, and those things also can really wear on you. Uh, but I think that employee assistant program, that kind of system, can also support people that are feeling stressed from those kinds of situations as well. Yes, totally. Um, it, the EAP program is there to uh, as a resource for multiple areas. If you're going through finances, if you have a divorce or you need a lawyer, you just want to speak to, like I said, as a psychologist, there's many different avenues in which um, you as the employee can lean on um, and somehow get assistance. So if you, if you understand that you're, from the day one in which you start working to your 10th year and you notice there's a change or you notice a difference in behavior, even if you notice some in your, your office mate is difference in behavior. Maybe that's an opportunity in which you can speak to that some person if you have a good relationship and or maybe bring it up to your supervisor or a lab director in which uh, we can create that program or create an avenue in which people can vent in those areas for sure. Now that's a very good point, Eric, and uh, thank you for 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 talking about that. I mean, it's it. These are tools at our disposal that we should take advantage of. That I think twenty, thirty years ago there was a stigma, you know, to speak up and go, you know, I need this kind of help. AC, you said this earlier. This, you know, you got to be brave enough to say I need help, and we didn't see that a lot back then. And I, again, you know, a number of crime scene investigators who have either suffered with trauma through this and I've even known one that committed suicide and uh, directly from the fact that he was traumatized from crime scenes. It's, it's a horrible thing to say, but he really – he suffered all his life from working crime scenes. So uh, I, I think it's a resource that because it's, it's there, it, you should take advantage of it and not feel shame or stigma for asking for help or assistance. 
So that said, um, thank you, AC, for giving your your perspective on this. We really appreciate it. And before we sign off here, uh, we thought we'd want to talk a little bit about you mentioned this uh, presidential role in the C in the California Division of the IAI, and they offer an annual conference. It's it's a for those that have not been to it outside the California area, it's kind of like a mini IAI. In fact, actually, it's one of the conferences I really enjoy. I like the California one, the Texas one, and the Florida one because you have all of the options of the IAI except it's not so overwhelming and big that you feel you know, just overwhelmed. There's just too much to do. You, it's like a little mini family. You want to talk a little bit about the conference coming up and some of the uh, speakers and things you might have at this point? Yes, for sure. We uh, have a conference coming up. It's going to be May 18th through the 22nd of 2020. Um, the theme is Keeping the Vision in 2020. Um, uh, that's, that's, alluded to that. That's clever. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and also, you can find everything that you need about it on net, on Instagram, on Facebook, and, and within the next couple of weeks, we will be on YouTube as well. Uh, the, the, like Glenn explained earlier, uh, we have about 30 uh, speakers so far that will be coming and speaking to our members. Uh, we're not as big as the II. You're not going to have a lot of members attending, like 1,500 or so, but there will be around 300 to 350 individuals attending, hopefully, uh, this conference in which we provide, provide uh, training, uh, workshops, and then also uh, events in which we swear in the next uh, incoming president. And we have fun events in which people can come and learn and interact and network. So yeah. if, you're a student, if you're a student out there, if you're a practitioner and you're in the California area, we'd love to have you. May 18th through the 22nd It's going to be the best party in, in the L.A. County area or in the L.A. area for sure. Well, you right. mentioned the, the location. That's one of the big selling points here. Where is it going to be? It is going to be in Palm Springs, uh, May 18th to the 22nd, 2020, uh, at Palm Springs. So hopefully we'll see you guys there. If you're a forensic pra- practitioner or work in the law enforcement community, we'll love to have you. Uh, you can register online right now on the website, oh, wow. net, and we'll love to have you. Just go to the seminar tab. Yeah, and it's it's a strong educational program for both crime scene and latent fingerprint examiners. I, I having been to it many times, it's it's a really good program. It's again, it's the caliber of the IAI, but just on a smaller scale. Thank you so much. Yes, it, it's the exact same caliber as the. Uh, you will be speaking there, Glenn. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, no, I I have it on my schedule. I'm likely coming back uh, from an overseas trip to yeah. to come to that. So I'm Ray, you will be there as well. I, yep, <laughs> make sure I, it's on my schedule as well. And and uh, <laughs> I've actually already spoken to to, uh, to my new bosses, and uh, you know they're already you have me on the schedule for going as well. So uh, wait, can't we'll wait to be there. there. I guarantee you, <laughs> good weather. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. It's going to be a good time. The opportunity to learn forensics and um, also see the great city of Palm Springs in which you can go on the uh, the gondola and then also within their downtown area as well. So you can't wait to have you guys. Right. Hey, one one other thing before we sign off here. How did you get involved in the IAI as an officer? I mean, if you were to recommend to people up and coming who are interested, want to get involved, become an officer, what, how do they get started? What What should they do? For sure. If you're a member of the CSD, II, or II, I recommend, um, and the way I got in was through Mark Waldo. He was the past president 
Uh, he saw me at the conference and said, "Hey, you seem like you have your head together. We want you. We want you to be involved." And then eventually, uh, Phil Hess took me under his wing, the former president um, of III as well, CSDII as well. And they both coached me and said, "Hey, you're going to be the next president." And uh, eventually, <laughs> I became that. <laughs> and that being said, the best way people can get involved now, uh, you'll see it on YouTube in the next you know, week, couple of weeks. There are committees in which you can serve on. I would start off by serving on a committee. And if the committees is no different from when you test drive a vehicle, if you like it, buy it. I think you, you get on these, you get on these committees and you feel like it's being productive and it be beneficial to your career. You definitely should stay, which I think it will be for sure. And then you could be a board member um, if you qualify and then become a board member. And eventually um, you can move up the chain if you desire to be in that capacity. So that's the approach that I took. Um, I, it's a tremendous organization, which you it has changed my life. I love exposure from Northern California, Southern California, and then throughout the world. Uh, being president, uh, the amount of exposure that we have is it's, you can pick up the phone and call anybody. If you're not a member and you're listening and you're a student, I recommend becoming a member because California is a huge state and it's one of those things. There's so many resources from me speaking to you gentlemen that are not in California. <laughs> we, we met through the conference. So it's one of those things where I, I, it can change your life for sure. Yeah, you. I have to admit, you have a great student program. I have been impressed every time I've gone with how many students are there and their professors. I mean, you're talking 20, 30, 40 students out of, I don't know, 300-some attendees. That's actually, that's a lot. Thank you. Thank you. It's one of those things where um, these are the crops of our future. Uh, we've been doing it over a decade or for a decade or so. Uh, but these are the people that are going to be coming up, and um, I, I think it's about exposure, and uh, hopefully they can, uh, they can get the physics that they need, and uh, we're trying to provide that for them for sure. Nah, cool. Uh, about a month ago or so, uh, actually, the CSDII's sister um, organization, SCAFO, the Southern California Association of Fingerprint Officers, had their conference in San Diego, um, and uh, you know, met a lot of, of people. Uh, with that organization and uh, got a patch here from the uh, LA Sheriff's Department crime lab. Um, that is there. And we didn't record last month, so it's a little out of date, but I still wanted to mention it and thank you them for the, the patch. Uh, they have their, their pink ribbon uh, breast cancer awareness patch. And they said they're the, the first crime lab in the country to have the style pink ribbon October breast cancer awareness patch. So thank you guys. Great idea. You know, definitely uh, want to, to mention that and to support them on that. All right. Uh, well, thank you AC uh, very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you having us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate it again. <laughs> really appreciate you uh, being on the show and sharing your, your story, your experience and, uh, you know, words of wisdom and just, just having this discussion about, uh, you know, the importance of what we do and, and how to keep sharp and on things and, uh, and, and ready to provide that service to the community. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It was an honor and a privilege. Thanks, man. Same here. Same here. I, I was really glad that AC could come on. That was fantastic. And uh, thanks, Eric, for, for suggesting that. I know you saw his presentation at one of the conferences and thought it would be good to get him on the show. Good 
good job. It, I, AC's, uh, AC's good people. I remember when I first met him, I just enjoyed him, uh, talking to him as a person. Again, the shared experience. But just I know he's been through a lot in his life and a lot of hurdles. And so it's really nice seeing how far he's gone with education, motivation, hard work, perseverance, just – you know, not letting up and just keeps moving forward. I I like that kind of grit, and he, that's the word he used too. Is that sort of grit in a yeah. person? Yeah, the moving forward thing. He he struck me like again first time I met him as just a a an essentially positive person. Um, yes, and it's uh, it's it's hard not to have that uh, that uh, affect you and infect you. So. Um, yeah, I imagine he is a good supervisor because he's very motivating, and as you said, he's very positive. Yeah. You know, I, I I really respect that. Again, knowing how how that environment he grew up in wants to make you pessimistic, cynical, yeah. mis, mistrusting of other people. I mean, that's all me. I, you know, I'm a terrible, <laughs> evil person. But he he's the opposite. <laughs> he in every way. Right. No, he he is he's such a positive, optimistic person. I don't know where he gets that from. Yeah, like you said, he's good people and uh, a great yeah. asset to uh, to the forensic community. Indeed, no, definitely, and and the California division. Yep. So, yep. good on them. Yeah, great suggestion, Eric. All right, so uh, you got some classes coming up. Uh, we got to let people know about. Yeah, real quickly, uh, for my Canadian folks, if you're interested in the advanced ACB class, March 23rd through March 27th in Calgary, Canada, go to Ron Smith and Associates to look for that next year. That's 2020. Also, uh, the next month, 2020, April 20th through the 24th, I'll be in Hackensack, New Jersey, just a little bit outside of Manhattan, <laughs> uh, teaching the advanced ACB class there. Yes, hacky, hacky sack, Eric. Uh, you Is keep, that you keep teaching in hacky sack, New Jersey, and, and- hacky. I just, I'm just picturing you, you know, on the lunch break, you know, out there with the class playing hacky sack. Um, I hate hacky sack and 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 die hippies die. I can't stand hippies. <laughs> no, so you, oh, they oh. they can suck their hacky sacks <laughs> and go back to Berkeley. I enjoy myself some hacky no. sack. I'm not that good at it, but you know. Anyway, what else? I'm sorry. No, when I was at Michigan State, there were plenty of. Granola eating, Birkenstock oh. wearing, the, and the oh oh the, okay those berets, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, god awful Rastafarian berets while they're playing hacky sack. I wanted to murder those poser hippie. Got it. So you, it, 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 when I was at a university down in Tucson, those guys were doing like the stick thing where you like spin the sticks and you make. Crystal sticks. Yes, yeah. I have a set. And it's it was just the, the skaters Fair. and the stoners that were doing hacky sack. So <laughs> um, just just different different part of the world, different you know, different decade. You know, just a different experience. <laughs> Uh, indeed. All right. And then lastly, uh, the new testimony class is not quite up on the website yet at Ron Smith and Associates. So it's about to be. We're likely going to be in the San Diego area in June and then the Boston area in October. Uh, where th- uh, we have this class with the instructors where we have the defense attorney who gives real-time advice about testimony and answers, and we have a little bit of um, scripted stuff. We also do a little bit improv testimony as well, so students get a chance to see how a defense attorney can comment and give real impact on their answers. So June and October in 2020, uh, go to ronsmithandassociates.com for all of those and more.
All right. Thanks. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, if you have any questions for us, uh, Eric at rayforensics.com, Glenn at eliteforensicservices.com. Uh, any questions that you want to forward on to AC, we can get those to him. Uh, we can probably reach out to him through the CSDII as well. But uh, we'd be happy to do that if you want to do it that way. Uh, go to our website, uh, doubleloopodcast.com. Uh, we're working with uh, some of our our friends, friends of the show, to get some merchandise up here real soon. Um, that's a goal here, well, this month. Because if, if we get it up this month, then it's available for Christmas gifts uh, coming up in December. So... We're gonna fingerprint Christmas gifts. Exactly. We're gonna we're gonna make a push and see if we can get it up and running and operational. Let's see. Twitter uh, at Double Loop Pod. You can follow us there. Instagram. Instagram as well. Also at Double Loop Pod. Right. I believe so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but Car- sure. Carrie's, Carrie's rolling her eyes right now. I can just I can I can just feel it. Uh, anyway. Thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, uh, also thank you very much to our patrons. Uh, if you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast and throw a buck or so our way. Uh, it, it helps us uh, keep the lights on, and, uh, and we've gotten new equipment. We've, we keep uh, you know, all these episodes um, you know, up on the servers, and some of the older ones are available only to those uh, Patreon subscribers. Uh, so thank you to all you guys that subscribe and all you guys that listen and, uh, you know, keep the whole show going because without people listening, we, we kind of would have given up on this, I think, a while ago if we didn't have some listeners out there. Um, True. And and there's bonus content for the Patreon subscribers, too. Absolutely. Even the last episode, right? We got that bonus content up there? Uh, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, we got uh, some of the, the paperwork uh, or some of the, the papers and files that you were mentioning, uh, like samples. Uh, up on to uh, uh, patreon.com so cool uh, definitely worth it if nothing else just to uh, to support us but we try to give back with a little bit of extra to those uh, to those subscribers so thank you guys very much uh, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you guys next time bye everybody have a good week <laughs>